It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. And why do we call it Chiseled? Because we're all work in progress. Again, my name is Rob Kamadari. I'm your host. I'm also the author of Better Than You Think and recently a co-authored with 40 other authors the book Next Level Your Life. But today's not about me. It's about Michael Schiff. Michael Schiff's a friend of mine. We've crossed paths over the last 18 years in real estate. He is of local flavor in the Baltimore area, which I'm loving. And it's not often I get the chance to talk to somebody or interview somebody uh, from a local, local area. So Mike's been in the business for 18 years. He's got a team, the, the Shift Home Team, correct? Got that right? That's correct. Yes. Shift Home Team, 15 agents and four admin, has had unbelievable success in his business. Michael, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Rob. It's an honor to be on and uh, have me as a guest. Thank you for being here. So, Michael, you've had a journey. You've been on a journey, and it all dates back to what we talked about a while ago. I mean, you're about three and a half years old. Had a lot of setbacks, had some ups and downs, but you pulled yourself out of it, and it's going to be awesome for you to share this with everybody today and then to, to lead us where you are right now in your business to the philanthropy you're involved in. So, Michael, thank you for being here, and please share with us what happened way back when you were three and a half years old. Yeah. So uh, I'm just a, a very big believer that um, the things that we have gone through in our past are for a reason. And uh, many of us have had um, trauma growing up. We've, we've had um, different um, dysfunctions that happened to us as a, as a kid, as an adolescent and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, I'm going to share some of those examples with you and the listeners um, of what personally impacted me. And it's going to require a high level of vulnerability. Um, but I truly believe as we become more vulnerable and just authentic um, with ourselves and, and with others, um, that's where the value is. That's where I've learned from uh, so many others. And I've learned to um, be able to compare inside instead of comparing out. So um, that being said, um, as a young kid, as three and a half years old, as I shared with you previously, Rob, um, I was in, a, um, in an accident uh, on, that involved a Lego. It was actually in a, a Constructs which was um, a toy similar to Legos for the babies that were not born in the early eighties. They may not know constructs um, <laughs> for the listeners out there um, that remember constructs. It was uh, it was a toy sword. And uh, my brother and I were playing on a playground set and we made elastic bands and we shot them off as like um, flying swords. And unfortunately one went into my left eye. Um, it was a freak accident. And at three and a half years old, I ended up losing the sight and color of my left eye. That's that's crazy. And, and and then so at three and a half years old, you've lost your eye. And I, I guess like how do you deal with it at three and a half years old? Because you really haven't even experienced the world yet. So how did that hit you? It, it was very tough. And um, I'm very blessed to have like my, my mom and dad at the time um, did everything they could um, with what they had to make sure I got the best um, medical help and attention um, at that time. Um, went through many eye surgeries at that age and um, would do a lot of rehab. You know, I remember my mom doing drills and exercise with me. She would hold up a M&M. And if I got the color right, um, I was allowed to eat it. And I was really, really trying to get my, my sight back. Um, and they doctors recommended these type of uh, these types of exercises. Um, but needless to say, um, you know, the damage was done and it was very tiring, to, you know, troublesome to be able to to be able to restore the sight. So it was tough to deal. It got really tough in like elementary school um, when, you know, we get to that age where kids start to tease you and make fun of you. I mean, I wore 
really big glasses, plastic glasses, before they came, became trendy to wear cool, big plastic <laughs> glasses. Um, in the early 80s, I had these big frames at like, you know, five, six, seven years old. And um, I would get teased. They would call me names. And, um, you know, I you know I had a physical disability. And many of us out there can relate to having something, a physical disability with our appearance that we got teased about. And there's no worse or better place than elementary school and middle school to get teased. So they would call me names, Freak and, and One-Eye Willie and um, Cyclops, um, Retard, you know, things like that, that um, definitely impacted my my self-esteem and my, my self-worth at that time. So you went through that for, if I remember correctly, you told me about uh, maybe eight, nine, 10 years you were going through all this uh, this back and forth with this low self-esteem, this, this, this people ridiculing you, making fun of you. And was there a time when you said, you know what, I do have a low self-esteem or did you not even know what a low self-esteem was? Um, it, yeah, at that time, I just, I, you know, remember thinking that, um, something was wrong with me and I felt different and I didn't probably didn't know what self-esteem was at that time, but I just started to feel different. And as a result of like feeling different, um, I started to act out to feel a part of, and that led me to, um, by the age of 12, 13 years old, um, finding the, the, the crowd and the click that would accept me for who I was, um, at that time. Um, and that in turn led to the use of drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, those were the folks that were like willing to accept me and that I felt more comfortable with, you know, with a physical disability. I, you know, my parents enrolled me in sports and I played sports and I, and I enjoyed playing them. Um, but, you know, I had some limitations as baseball, you know, batting, you know, I had no sight coming in from my left eye. So I had to really like turn my head all the way around in order to, in order to play. Um, so needless to say, I, I was also limited on some physical sports that I can play because of the fear of losing sight in the other eye and then being permanently or completely blind. Um, so I gravitated to, you know, the druggies, if you will, you know, in 1995, 96, these were the folks that were, um, wearing tie dye shirts, which are back in style, corduroy pants, Jenkos, chain belts, you know, that little click that I found my way into through rollerblading and skateboarding. So now you got a click, you got somebody to, to, to grasp onto you, they're attracted to you, and now you're drinking the drugs, but you got into a little bit of trouble, you had told me. Yeah. Uh, what, the, you acted out with the drinking, but it, it sounds like it led to a little more than just drinking. It did. It did. So um, the consequences of using drugs escalated fairly quickly. Um, you know, even before the drugs, I was a troublesome kid. I, I got arrested for shoplifting in sixth grade. In seventh grade, I got arrested for destruction of property. And then um, after that, that's when really the, the drug use started to set in, where in eighth grade, I was carried out of my middle school in handcuffs for um, bringing um, you know, weed to school. And um, I got expelled from middle school for that. So um, go ahead. Yeah, which was which was, was really, you know, um, mind blowing at the time, because you think an eighth grader, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, so I had to finish my um, my eighth grade year through homeschooling. Now, so you got in trouble there. You, you, you got, I think you told me you got arrested sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth and tenth. So combined, it was about six times before I was 15, before I was 16, rather. Six times before I was 16, I got arrested. 
Well, so in a joking way, does that get you into the Hall of Fame for getting right? right. <laughs> if there is one out there, my face is somewhere up there. We don't want to be in that Hall of Fame, right? No, no. <laughs> I know you don't mind me no. joking here. I right, don't... absolutely not. But that was the direction I was going. I literally could have been in the Hall of Fame of of criminals because of the the, the direction and the guidance that I had. And we, we talk a lot about mentors and coaches and, and role models. And at that time, like you can have a coach and a mentor and a role model that is not of a positive influence. And I just had negative influences in my life that was, that were controlling, you know, how I was developing and turning out. So then you get into high school, you said you got arrested in high school. So you got in high school and, and you got expelled, I think in the 10th grade and you ended up right. at, the, at the Charles Hickey school. I think you told me. Yes. That. Yeah. So that is uh, here in our good, you know, state of Maryland. Um, you know, so after a couple of fake IDs and violations of probation and another um, marijuana and ecstasy possession charge, that led me to um, a violation of probation, which ultimately led me to um, 60 days at the Charles Hickey School in Maryland, which is a juvenile detention center. And before that, and if I could bring this up, you had yeah. a, a, a good buddy, you and, you, got, you and a friend of yours did a lot together. And something happened there, and I think also yep. contributed to some of this, this this acting out. So on the path that we were on, um, you know, we would we would do a lot of crazy stuff, um, a lot of stuff that I'm very ashamed of saying. Um, you know, down to like you know passing fake checks and you know breaking into houses, and um, we started to joyride cars, cars, right? So we were joyriding our parents' cars. Um, and, uh, you know, what that looked like is when our parents went to sleep, we would take the keys and then we would go pick each other up at 14 years old. Um, and one night my, uh, my good friend, he was like a brother to me. He lived with me for a period of time when he was having problems at his house. We were in rehab together as well. Um, he came, uh, he was back home living with his mom and he was, uh, coming to pick me up. And, um, you know, this is before we had cell phones and we might have had pagers, but like, no, we were 14 years old. We, we weren't using pagers just yet. Um, so, you know, you would make a phone call and say, I'll be there in 15 minutes. And then you would go outside and meet at the spot. So I got that call. I went outside and I waited 15 minutes. I waited an hour, I waited two hours and Stevie didn't come to pick me up. And at this point, it's probably 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I'm just realizing like, Something's going on. I'm just going to go home, go back to bed. He's not coming. Um, I go home. I go back to bed. And at six o'clock that next morning, my mom wakes me up and she says that um, she had some bad news to share with me. She wanted to make sure I was up. She told me that my best friend, Stephen Laurie, uh, died last night in a car accident. And um, at that time, you know, I get emotional talking about that um, currently still today because um you know, it is just something that I never would have thought, you know, what we were doing could result in such a travesty and consequence, um, which, you know, was eye opening to the direction that, you know, wh where we were going in our lives. We're from a you know good middle class family in a decent neighborhood and things didn't like like that didn't happen. Right. Um, so it was my first experience with uh, death um, and death of a, of a friend and a, and a loved one that really um, created a new sense of emotions that I wasn't familiar with dealing with and I didn't have the right tools to deal with that ultimately led to my addiction progressing into stronger and harder drugs. Yeah, because you'd, you'd been to rehab, in and out of rehab already prior to that, correct? Prior to that, I was already in and out of rehab and um, you know, I was actually on the right path of, of getting clean and staying clean. I was going to meetings at that time. Um, 
but you know, I was not prepared. I didn't have the tools as I do today to deal with what I went through at that time. Yeah. So even though somebody goes through rehab and you think that they might be, you know, straighten themselves out, there's always the potential of a trigger to set you back. There is, there is. And um, that's why it's so important to, you know, a lot of people want to do it like white knuckle it, or we call it a dry drunk sometimes, and they, they can abstain from drinking or using drugs um, on their own without recovery, without a sponsor or without some sort of program. And it's just, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope because there will come a time where something comes up um, that we need to be able to have somebody to call to deal with, you know, whatever emotional, whether it's a good thing or bad thing, whatever we're going through. And in the absence of that, we're just, we're, we're playing with fire. Yeah. Literally. Right. Literally yeah, speaking. Right. Yep. So you get to the Charles Hickey school. How long were you there? I was there 60 days and then followed by another 60 days in an inpatient rehab center in um, Cumberland, Maryland. And so you, again, you, you straighten you straighten yourself out again. And then you had the, I think you had the, um, was it the root canal? Was that before? Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So leading to that, after I finished my um, 60 days in Hickey and then another 60 days at the uh, rehab center with 120 days clean, I ended up coming home and um, my parents refused to send me back to um, high school. In fact, I was expelled from the arrest that was, you know, that was six, 120 days prior. And um, we started looking at um, military academies. And those are three words that you don't want to hear as a, as a teenager is that, you know, you're going to military school. Um, so I was very reluctant in wanting to, you know, go and look at military schools. But I also realized that the path that I was going down, I needed some change and I needed some different structure in my life. Um, so um, I decided to um, make the decision to go to Massanutten Military Academy in Woodstock, Virginia. And um, that was one of the greatest decisions that I was able to make for myself. I couldn't see it at the time. This is one of the things that you're in the moment and you can't see at the time that it's going to be good for you. But you go out on that leap of faith and you just, you know, trust the process of what's going on. Um, so doing that, I ended up starting 11th grade there, I enrolled into football and um, I hadn't played sports prior to that. I mentioned I was using drugs and, and now I, you know, I put on some weight when I was in Hickey. I went in Hickey at 135 pounds. I left 185 pounds. You know, I literally put on 50 pounds in, in a 120 day period um, just from eating good and and working out and doing push-ups. So I had some mass. I had some confidence to me that was, you um, something that I wasn't familiar with before. So I decided to enroll in football and um, that was great. It, it, you know, it taught me camaraderie. It taught me sportsmanship. And the other thing it did, it, it, it brought up my, one of my first coaches in my life, um, John Dutton, coach Dutton was um, the first experience that I had with a, with a coach. And this happened to be um, our, our head football coach and he just took such pride in the men and the boys that he was working with. I mean, you got to imagine these are kids that are probably coming from their high schools. They got expelled from high school. So they're here. They either came from a state run facility. There's probably maybe 10 or 15 percent that actually want to go into the military that are going to military school. But the other 80, 85 percent are juvenile delinquents. We'll call it that. Right. So he had a, you know, a job on his hands to you know, be able to provide the structure to these, um, these, you know, young men in order to, um, you know, help be that guiding light. He was a father figure to me. He was a father figure to many of the other guys and just shout out to coach Dutton. Dutton. 
um, you know, if it wasn't for him, like he really, really, you know, taught me that relationship between coach and coachee. So John Dutton was coaching. It wasn't the John Dutton from the Colts, was it? There was no, no, sorry, no, not the John Dutton from the Colts. Uh, from the Colts, this was another John Dutton. Um, he could have coached the Colts. Um, <laughs> however, he was actually a Packers fan, big Green Bay Packers fan. Oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So, yep. so that that led you into a leadership role, correct? It did. Yes. So, um, you know, I, I quickly um, escalated through the ranks of the military school where after my first year of military school, I was promoted to the battalion commander. So you get to school, you start off as a private, then you get it to sergeant, corporal, sergeant, you know, first class, um, first sergeant, lieutenant, captain. And um, I ultimately made my way up to the battalion commander, which uh, was my um, meant that I had control and leadership over all 250 Corps of Cadets, which was a really big honor um, at that time. Um, when I came back from my senior year for football, um, I became uh, the captain of the football team. So I started getting these like leadership opportunities. So at this point, you know, I had um, 15, 16, 17 months clean and I was doing the right thing. You know, I, the military schools taught me structure and organization um, and responsibility that I didn't have before that I, you know, take into my day today. I make my bed every day because of what I've learned in military school. I keep my shoes, you know, shine because of military school, like certain things like that, that I've learned um, over the years have have carried over. Um, but it was, you know, these leadership roles that came up. However, um, I, you know, to get to your point, as far as like this, this root canal, um, as a result of a football injury, I needed a root canal. And um, by 18, 19 months clean, I um, admittedly stopped going to meetings. I stopped working a program and I stopped calling my sponsor at the time. And as a result, um, when I got this root canal, I thought it would be a good idea to double up on my meds, um, what the nurse would dispense out and save them all for a Friday night. And um, by doing so, I literally abused my pain medicine and I released my addiction all over again. So I went from having 19 months clean between 15 and, and 17 to now relapsing uh, my senior year of, uh, of uh, high school when I was in military school. Now it was a one-time slip up and um, I didn't go back to it after that, but at the same time, um, it unwoke the beast inside. And by my graduation night, um, all the guys were drinking in the barracks and I thought, you know, entitled to be able to have a drink for a graduating um, high school and get drunk like everybody else. And I ended up doing that, and um, that ultimately resulted in immediate consequences for me from the school because, you know, as the battalion commander, I wasn't supposed to be drinking. So you've had your ups and downs, and I think in that process, looking back, Mike, did, were you able to give yourself some grace and forgive yourself when these things happened? Um, looking back, I, you know, I was always very hard on myself um, at that time, you know, during these processes. Um, so, you know, as I look back now, I can give myself grace, but in the moment I was just always so hard. I always would get frustrated myself and that frustration would just lead, I would, you know, lead to me, um, feeling worse about myself and, and, and wanting to progress and act out in different ways. And I feel as though if I was able to be a little bit easier on myself, that could have been better. Yeah. Yeah, I want to, on a lighter note, I just want to say when I see Mike out at Battle of Real Estate Functions, now I know why he's always dressed so sharp. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. 
kind of, you know, shirts tucked in, you know, gig line tight, hair tight. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I learned. So sport coat or suit and tie. He's always he's always dressed to the nines, man. I love it. So that's good right. stuff. Now I know why. So thank you for sharing that part of it. Absolutely. So you had you got into college and you had some trouble down there. You went to University of Florida as well. Correct? Yeah, University of Florida. So I got a new sense of freedom back. And um, you know, I did my first year at Villa Julie here in uh, Baltimore, and then which then becomes State Stevenson University. I went to visit a friend that was going to UF in Gainesville for the weekend just to see what it was like. And, you know, if anybody has gone to a four year, you know, university like Gainesville, you know, um, it's a lot of fun. Right. So um, after that, I ended up transferring in. But I'll, I'll share that I had to transfer into the community college locally nearby. It was Santa Fe Community College. I did my sophomore year there and then I transferred into University of Florida my junior year. So my degree in diplomas from University of Florida. Um, but you know, I share that to say because there's some folks that may not have gotten into their university of choice um, initially, but there's ways of transferring in and still getting your degree and graduating from um, that four-year accredited university. Yeah. Um, but Florida brought a whole new sense of, uh, you know, freedom and also, um, you know, consequences with that freedom because I wasn't quite prepared and ready for that yet. Yeah. So then you, you again, got a little bit of trouble down there, but now let's go, let's fast forward because we've been talking about the dark side, right? Sure. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about the light side, the good stuff, right? Let's get yeah. into that. So you, you, you leave Florida and you get, when, what year did you graduate? I'm sorry. Mike. I graduated in 2004. And okay. the, the only dark side I'll say from Florida, just to fast forward it, because there's a lot of stories and we could talk forever is that, you know, um, I started, you know, I started using drugs again and drinking and ultimately, it led to three more arrests. And um, in uh, it was March of uh, 2003, I was, um, excuse me, March of 2004, I was sentenced to a year and a day in prison as a, yes. as a senior in, in, um, in college. So it was that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Forgive me for skipping that part because... Was that the low point of your life? Right that there? was the low point. Yeah. So I just want to touch on that because that was the absolute low point. Um, you know, I, I, um, I'm in recovery now and I'm clean and sober and I've been clean and sober since November 18th, 2003. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yep. So you got, do you, have your, do you have your coin? Did you have I coin? have my coin. I have my medallion. Uh, yeah. um, so 19 years, 19 and a half years clean and sober. Um, that was my clean date, but all the wreckage from that past um, showed up on March 1st, 2004, where I had to go to court for all my violations of probations. And ultimately that led to um, the judge sentencing me to a year and year and a day in prison. I was studying business management and criminology. I thought I'd be a smart ass and try to rep represent myself as an, as an attorney um, <laughs> and, um, and hope for the best. And the judge didn't want to hear that. He didn't want to hear that I took the LSATs and I was planning to go to law school. In fact, he said, Mr. Schiff, you have no business and no right to practice law in any courtroom and literally slammed the gavel and said a year and a day. Um, by the grace of God, um, I only ended up doing 19 days of that year and a day. Um, but that was still my and that was that led to that turning point uh, in my life. You know, I went into jail um, ready to take responsibility for my actions, even though I had about five, six months clean. I was still ready to take responsibility for my actions. And um, I said, you know what, God, this is your will, not mine. If this is what you feel is best for me, I'm ready to pay my dues. I just wanted, this is not the life I want to live anymore. I'm ready to move you know, past this. I was going to meetings again at that time. 
and I started to, you know, build my recovery network. Um, after some praying, after um, submitting an appeal for a modifications of sentencing, I was able to get out in 19 days. And um, I knew that that was my last second chance. I mean, this was beyond second, yeah. but this is this was my last chance of um, doing anything with my life, you know, going back into the system and back into jail um, and in the bookings constantly, you know, I just knew I wanted a better life for myself. And I just kept on seeing some of the repeat habitual offenders in there. And I started looking around. I was like, if I don't make any changes, this is going to be me too. Yeah. So I knew at that point, it was a turning point that I had to start making some changes. Yeah, so that's like the, the they call it the old uh, Popeye moment. This all I can stands, I can't stand it no more. <laughs> is, that, is that what happened? That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, how, have you always been a faith, a, a faith, a faithful man or faith? Uh, what's your faith believing guy? Have you always? Yeah, been yeah, I have, I have. I, you know, a lot of my prayers in the beginning were like foxhole prayers. So it was like, God, you know, get me out of this jam, and I'll never do that again. Right. And um, and God heard those prayers, and He, you know, helped get me out because He's, you know, I got my wrist slapped you know, so many times and I was able to get away with my charm and charisma. Um, but I didn't change my behavior. Yeah. And I truly believe like, you know, as this didn't happen to me, this happened for me. Right. And um, this was God showing up in my life and doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I was on a roll, a road of destruction and death, Rob, like that's the direction I was going. I'm here to tell you, I've buried well over 50 friends and acquaintances personally in recovery, um, many of them very close to me growing up as a result of overdoses um, and and dying from this disease. Wow, I did not know that. So, 50 close friends or family members. Close, yes. So, oh um, and I was no different than them. And I was on the, that path. Um, and, you know, the drugs I was using, Oxycontin, which many people are familiar with, is a highly physically addicting drug. And as soon as that was... Um, removed from the market. A lot of folks switched to heroin and um, I would have been right behind everybody in that cycle. You, you consider yourself lucky right now? Extremely lucky, extremely fortunate. So much so like it is um, on my shoulder every day to, to pay it forward to the next person. And, and how do you pay it forward? How do you yeah. do that? So, so that kind of led me into like graduating Florida. I like that was one of the top five moments in my life. You know, I never thought that day would come when I was sitting in that cell you know, I thought I'll never graduate. Um, nothing would be possible. Even if I do get out of here, I'm going to have a felony on my record. And who would want to hire me? And my life is over. And I'm here to talk to the listeners. If anybody has gone through anything like that or may have had like some sort of background or record, um, anything is possible. Um, so when I graduated, um, I, gra I graduated, happiest day, one of the happiest days of my life, um, still had that felony on my record. Um, but I started looking into what can I do that will um, that, that to remove this, to get it expunged as we know. And, um, I went through the process. I contacted an attorney when I came back to Maryland and I wrote a letter to the judge, um, and which it took about a year, but he did read the letter. He saw that I was doing the right thing. And after completing my probation, after probably about a year and a half, um, they were able to remove that, um, conviction of, of guilt. And I was, the felony was removed from my, my record. Um, all that was going on when I was getting my real estate license in 2004. So um, I uh, took the real estate exam in 2000 and, um, in December of 2004. It became licensed at the end of that year. 
And I remember I was applying for my first brokerage to work for. It was a company named Zip Realty. And if for many people remember Zip, Zip was the first kind of like cloud-based or virtual brokerage. Many people work from home and they had this technology platform that you work from. And I remember going to training in Atlanta for seven days and um, learning the platform and coming back to a FedEx on my doorstep that basically said that after a thorough background check, you are no longer employed with our company or terminated from the company as an independent contractor. And it was a little discouraging because, you know, here I am, I'm figuring I got a little bit over a year clean. I'm trying to do the right thing. And, you know, I have a little, you know, a speed bump in my way that's blocking me from getting to where I want to go. Um, I didn't stop there. You know, I went for that. I was appealing the conviction at that time. And I found a brokerage that was referred to me from a family friend that was willing to take me under their wing. And I share this to say that, you know, we nobody succeeds alone. There's always somebody there that will help you. And this goes into me helping others. There was somebody there for me when I needed them. And that person uh, is Vito Simone. So Vito ran a small um, real estate brokerage, Simone Real Estate, kind of a boutique um, brokerage. And, you know, he walked me down to the commissioner's office and he basically said that he would, um, he would, you know, be able to look over me and, and mentor me, and I would work under his kind of, um, you know, guidance and make sure that I stayed in line. And I had this probationary period with the commission that I needed to abide by in order to, you know, fully get my license and be on my own. So shout out to Vito on that. So Vito was a godsend as well, right? Vito was a godsend. So John, John Dutton and Vito. Yeah, that's it. So as these things started to, you know, happen, I realized like um, it, it started to build my faith. So those foxhole prayers then became like, all right, well, let me let me follow through with action. Um, it's not just praying and hoping, right? It's praying and actually being doing the next right thing. Doing the next right thing was my motto for years and still is like no matter what you do, just do the next right thing. Put one foot yeah. in front of the other. And, um, you know, that resulted into um wanting to pay it forward to the next person. So as I began to build my team, you know, the business of five, six, seven, we were both in that business together, crazy times, very reminiscent of the you know past market that we're, that we're coming out of and the market that we're actually coming into right now. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, built a, you know, business as a, as a single agent at that time. And in 2011, you know, those first seven years in the business, I decided to, you know, build a team. And, um, in 2011, I, you know, ended up um, attending a, a seminar and like hearing about the business side of real estate and how there's a model to build a team and all this good stuff. And that gave me the platform and the ability to start pulling people up with me. So a lot of my hires on my team, whether they're still here or they've moved on and started building their own teams, have been um, people like me, people that needed a second chance, people that needed somebody to believe in them and until they could believe in themselves and they may have had some troublesome background and i've written letters for them on their behalf the same way Vito was there for me and that is the stuff that like makes me tick and it makes me happy so you're involved in a lot of personal growth and develop these days right and i think you said that it evolved from the one of that seminar one of the seminars you went to what how do you use that with your team within other individuals do you hey read this study this or you just you take take them through it with you how do you how yeah do you with that um yeah there, there's some definitely some staples into personal growth that um we've read together as a team 
um, you know, just starting with how to win friends and influence people, you know, it's just a, a staple of, um, of being a good person and, and you know, of self-development. Um, you know, how um, Think and Grow Rich is, is another one that we've read together as a team, just like, you know, staples in that sense. Um, and then there's, yeah, there's stuff that I've learned over the years that, I, that I've shared. Um, a New Earth by Eckhart Tolle is uh, one of my favorite books um, that, you know, just talks a lot about ego and, and just, you know, if anybody is, is going through it, um, Ego is the Enemy by Ryan yeah. Holiday as well is another one that like, you know, I have, you know, it helped me so much and I'm so quick to refer to people that I feel like could benefit from it as well. Um, and you know, I feel as though these lessons, like sometimes the first time I remember hearing some of this stuff um, that was on the personal development side, um, I didn't realize, you know, originated from some of the, you know, Jim Rohn's and Zig Ziglar's and, um, and Tony Robbins. You know, I thought this was like original content that was being spoken to me from the, the people that I heard it from first. And as I started going on this path of self-development, I'm like, this stuff, you know, there existed before and it's it's different ways of, you know, getting it out. But, you know, as we are in our team meetings, as we're on our power ups, we're constantly, you know, thinking of, about, you know, that conversation of self-development. Yeah. So as a faith based man, how has God worked his way into this personal growth? Because we use the word self-development or self-help. And I believe and I think you'd agree with me. It's not about self because there's got to be somebody else along for the ride or helping us because we're on his ride. I, I would agree. Yeah. So how has God worked his way into all this for you? Yeah. Um, it, it's just a lot of faith and trust and, and, and turning it over. You know, one of the things I, I, you know, I say to myself is, you know, I want to turn my will over to the care of God and let it be his will and not mine. Um, so there's, you know, before, um, you know, certain events or, or situations like, you know, I've, I've learned not to take the things personally. And mm -hmm. that like God hasn't brought me here to just leave me here. And that's just developed, you know, a lot of a lot of faith. And in our organization, in our team, we don't you know, we're not talking faith as much per se. But I'm truly be believe, you know, believe that, you know, God is present in our organization and has done some amazing things um, with um, with our with our team and with myself personally, that there was no way I would be able to do on my own. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I'll ask this question. How, how do you discern if it's his will or your will? How do you discern yeah, the difference? That's a good question. Um, yeah. Usually my, right. So my will um, is, you know, is going to, is going to lead to some sort of consequence or, um, you know, I guess result or, or, or outcome that is not going to be as desirable. So for example, I'll give it to you like, um, um, you know, I like to, you know, so I'm an addict and I like to still, you know, um, do certain things. I just don't drink or use drugs, but like every now and then I'll go to the casino. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it will be Friday night and it's like late at night and I'm probably tired. I probably should make a left and go home, <laughs> but instead I make a right. And I said, you know, I'm going to go to the casino. Uh -huh. Those are the nights I don't win at the casino. <laughs> Those are the nights. That, uh, that I usually come home a loser because I should have followed God's will and went home because I was tired. Yeah. Um, no, but like on a more serious note, like, um, yeah, it, it's the things that like is doing good when I'm in the, when I'm doing good, when I'm in the moment of like, of helping and not, you know, being self-centered and coming from myself. If it's a self-centered interest, it's probably my will. 
And if I am, you know, selflessly helping others or doing for others, it's most likely God's will. Yeah. Do you have, do you get a feeling? Do you hear a voice? Do you get a sense? How do you know he's talking to you in that moment? Yeah. Um, it's, if I have to doubt it or question it, then I, I know I'm trying to manipulate the situation, you know, um, for that, but it's, it's, there's definitely signs out there and I'm a big, you know, sometimes it can take me forever to make decisions or I get stuck because I'm waiting for that like sign. Yeah. Right. And, and it, it was there all along and I just completely like missed it. And it's similar, you know, to the story that's the man, you know, that is um, deserted on an Island and he's praying for God to help him. And a boat comes by and he says, no, 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 I'm going to wait for God. And then, you know, a helicopter comes by and he's like, no, 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 I'm wait for God. And, you know, ultimately he dies and he goes to heaven. He's like, well, you know, God, I was praying for you. What happened? He's like, well, I sent the boat. I sent the plane. I sent the helicopter. Right. Um, so it, it's it's being open to like being able to be, you know, in touch and, and seeing seeing those signs, whatever that may look like um, and being able to trust your gut and not being you know afraid to fail as well. I mean, failure is a big part of my story. And. Um, as we hear so often, it's, you know, the, the, the bigger, the failure, sometimes the, the bigger, the success, and it's just a result of not giving up. There's many times in my story from the, from my past life, I'll say, and from my current life that I've could have stopped and not given up. Um, but I made the decision to get up out of bed and there's, you know, and put, you know, put on my pants, put on my shoes and, you know, and go out the door and make it into the office. Right. Yeah, you, yeah keep going. No. So, you know, it's, we, we got to, you know, it's, it's a decision and a choice to, to not stop and to continue going, even when we don't want to, um, you know, that that's what will help get us out of certain ruts. Yeah. So you, you've been through those ups and downs and you faced that resistance and Mike Schiff is a highly successful real estate agent right now with a great team. And we, we cross markets every now and then we don't like compete a lot, but uh, I'm proud to call Mike a friend. Cause whenever we see each other, it's always a hug, a hand, a hand you know, knuckle, whatever you want to call it, yeah. high five, whatever. And, and I always love sharing a conversation with Mike. Cause he's just, he's inspirational to me. And I don't know if he's ever heard me say that, but he just heard me say it now. Uh, and, and it's great to know a guy like Mike and you know, he's, successful in the real estate. And in turn, now you've decided to do a little bit of give back. Is that correct? Yes. yes. So as a real estate team, you know, I kind of reached that point where we kind of hit that, you know, we've sold 350 houses in a year. We sold hundred million plus in real estate um, year over year. And we, we enjoy doing that. And we want to continue to do that. Um, we have a lot of people on the team. Like I, I value and judge my success about around who on the team is having success. You know, we want all members of the team earning six figures or more, and then ultimately to create millionaires with inside the team. Um, but in addition to that, as we have that on a nice little system and that's working really nicely, um, I started to um, branch out and it's always been something that's been on my heart is getting into the recovery housing space. And I thought like being in real estate and being in recovery, like bringing those two worlds together, I have a wealth of knowledge and resource um, from both sides to bring together to create a uh, a space where the, it's so it's, it's such such a needed opportunity and and you know um, inside of uh, you know what we're experiencing here in Maryland and I would venture to say in other areas you know you know drug addiction and uh, alcoholism is real and there's just such a big need right now. And sometimes there's no place where folks know where to go for help or after they get help into rehab or detox 
where do they go afterwards until they can integrate back into their homes and providing a um, transitional home where that has structure and has the ability to get people back on their feet and get them um, you know, into different vocational classes and skills and interviews so they can get jobs and actually you know, help turn these you know, men and women um, into productive members of society again. And you created this, this housing program you were telling me. Yes. So that's our, the recovery housing program that I'm involved in now. And, um, you know, we're looking to, um, just, you know, add more beds, um, to the Baltimore Metro marketplace here in order to serve the well-needed, you know, population that we have going on. Um, in addition to that, we started a, um, a, the repair network, um, with my good, uh, friend, Randy Lusk, um, we started uh, Real Estate Professionals Active in Recovery. This is a private Facebook group um, for anybody out there that is a real estate professional. So that could be a realtor, mortgage lender, insurance, contractor, um, investor um, that wants to be around other people that are active in recovery. It's a private Facebook group that we share our experiences with, our celebrations, wins, and go for for additional support um, that are within our industry. So that's another project that has come to life over the past year. Man, that's great. I didn't know that. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. I, um, I mean, I'm, I say, unfortunately, unfortunately, I'm not a part of that Facebook group, right? <laughs> but, yep. but, but that's, that's great, man. And thank you for doing that for others, man. That is, that's, I had no idea about that. So Mike, let me ask you this. You've highly successful, highly successful. You've been through the ringer a few times, self-sabotage, right? Yep. But you've, you've come out of that. When I see Mike walking on the streets, when I see Mike in real estate, I see a confident Mike. I see a, 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 a energetic Mike, a magnetic Mike. That's what I see, right? Does Mike ever struggle with that self-esteem issue anymore? Um, there are some times. There are some times that there are there is some self-doubt. Like I want to just be raw and transparent, and and I work on that. I have I have a, a personal development coach that I work with today still um, to help get through to that next level because I realize like there's some things that I hit ceilings on and I get blocked. Um, and, you know, as on the outside, I can, I can look and, and feel confident, like down inside, like there's some things that I still, you know, struggle with as well, um, that it is constantly a work in progress. So, um, you know, if I am ever thinking that I have it figured out, like I'm probably in a bad space. So, yeah, I mean, it is, um, it's something, but it's come a long way. I feel the difference. I feel the progression of from where I am now versus where I was when I started. And it's a completely, you know, almost 180 degree difference. That's great. But I, I think the point to make for everybody listening is that you go through a tough time, you come out of it and, and you had to lose self-esteem and you're confident. It doesn't mean you're never going to have a self a low self-worth moment or a low self-esteem moment. It comes, that's, that's like the, the, the devil rearing its ugly head, just trying to bring you down. So we're all going to face that no matter what successes we have, no matter what we've overcome. And we have to realize that it's not, I don't think it ever goes away because we all have our vices and it doesn't ever go away. You just got to manage it. You got to manage yes. it when it rears its ugly head. And I'd assume it rears its head. Like you said, you have these doubts from time to time and you've learned to manage it and you have somebody to lean into, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and that, and, and having faith. So again, like when those doubts would come, it's, it's faith more even so than a personal coach is like knowing, like, I'll, I'll say to myself, like, I know God didn't, you know, bring me this far to leave me here. Right. And exactly. um, that there's a bigger plan. And, and I constantly will say to myself, why is this happening for me instead of why is this happening to me? 
And that little switch in our mindset can get us, can, can take us out of any rut and give us a different way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. As you're right. Cause you hear so many people saying, why me, why me, why is it happening to me? But it's happening for us. So we learn something. Mike, before I let you go here, I always ask everybody this last question, how much more chiseling do you got going on in your life with God? Yeah. Um, I got a lot more to go on to go. Um, you know, it's, it's a constant, it's a relationship and it's a constant journey. And, um, the more I get into the relationship, the more I want more of. Um, so it's, uh, it's a constant, um, development and just, you know, um, routine to get in and to stay in. Um, so again, is if I figure it out and I, I think that I'm done, then, then there's issues. So it's just, it's constantly just, it's staying in faith. It's staying plugged in, staying connected and, you know, being able to be grateful, be humble and give God all the glory. That's awesome, man. I, I, I don't know if there's a better way to finish this uh, podcast up with him with that. So, Mike, thanks a lot for being on the show today. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you in the Baltimore area, how would they get a hold of you? Yeah. So um, Instagram is popular and that's always a good uh, way to uh, reach me. And that would be at Michael Schiff. And that's S-C-H-I-F-F. Okay. And then if anybody that's gone through these struggles wants to get in that Facebook group, do you want to share what that, that group yeah, is? It's called Repair. R-E-P-A-I-R, and it's uh, Real Estate Professionals Active in Recovery. That's great. Well, Mike, we're going to finish on that note. I am blessed that you were able to share your story with us, your vulnerability, your authenticity. It's, it's people need to hear these stories. People need to know that if you think you're down and out, there's a way out. And, and you've shared that with us today, and I couldn't be more grateful for you than that. It's my pleasure, Rob. Thank you very much. You got it, buddy. Look forward to see you again with that shirt and tie on, buddy. And uh, it. <laughs> sporting them shiny shoes. So until next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. You just got chiseled with Rock on Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon, Better Than You.